The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a wonderful trip today. And I want to uh, tell you how I found my guest today before I tell you who he is. So uh, as some of you may know, I'm a psychotherapist in private practice, and so is my guest. And two Fridays ago, we were both, uh, we both met at this, um, uh, meeting with, with, it's for continuing education units and it happened to be about, um, uh, legal issues with, within our practice. And, uh, this fellow had a great voice, like a super good radio voice. And he was very vocal and he spoke quite a bit and he was very interesting. So, uh, we became fast friends. New, but fast friends. His name is Brian Walmuth. And Brian, welcome to the club today, to well, the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here, Jonathan. I'm delighted you're here. So basically, um, Brian's got a lot to tell us. He has a wonderful book of sorts. It's called Poeting, excuse me, Poetic Parenting, and it's a really good read. I've read it, and uh, he's a wonderful writer. He's new, to, he's new to writing, but he's wonderful doing it. So... Um, Brian, before we get into the nitty-gritty, how about you tell me and my audience, or our audience, it's both of our audience, um, what were you like as a little kid, what were you interested in, what were your parents like, what kinds of things did you do, and how did you finally end up becoming a psychotherapist <laughs> and writing a book called Poetic Parenting? Well, so, <laughs> that's uh, pretty multi uh yeah You're, yeah you don't have to go into uh, um, huge huge detail but my uh i'd say we were very uh traditional um my father was fairly dominant and my mom was uh submissive and uh-huh. i believe in the 50s and 60s uh that was kind of uh the norm um yeah. they're very they very loving uh-huh. Um, I grew up, I would say I was a sportsaholic, um, back on the East Coast playing, uh-huh. uh, the three sports, which were basketball, baseball, and football. Of the three, uh, which was your favorite? Um, I would say baseball was my favorite, uh, uh-huh. growing up with the, uh, Yankees and the Mets. Um, yeah. You know, they ruled New York, the Yankees, of course, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Whitey Ford, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah. 
Um, definitely baseball was my favorite. I still, uh, from time to time, uh, play softball. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, my, my um, transformation into a therapist without going into detail, I think I was an emotional caretaker in my family system. So uh-huh. I think I was set up to understand and appreciate emotions. And as I... Um, matured and needed to pick a career. I noticed I could talk to people. I uh-huh. noticed I could listen to people and um, put two and two together and thought what career talks and listens and yeah. found my way into the world of uh, psychotherapy. Yeah. I'm a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. Um, when were you licensed at? I was licensed in 1985, January of 1985. Okay. And what year were you born? I was born in uh, 1955. Okay. Um, I <clears throat> interned and I was there for 30 years at a uh, special ed school. Uh-huh. And I want to thank um, all my mentors, my supervisors, uh, because yeah. as we will find out, their energy is inside of me as a therapist. Yeah, that's beautiful, actually. Um, and actually, if we can get into the idea of the, the book, yes. what, what kind of inspired me, or dare I use the word, motivated me when I was uh, young, and I believe I was an intern in our profession, so this must have been, I may have been 26 or 27 at the time, uh-huh. I uh, was living in this apartment complex with other young individuals. And I was uh, lounging next to a uh, friend of mine at the time who had a three-year-old son. He himself was a uh, well-educated individual with a degree in architecture. I'm not going to name the school he was from, but it's a well-known university. And his three-year-old son was kind of running around the pool area, and he looked at me and said, um, you know, all I want for my son is that he grows up to be a responsible, industrious, empowered, uh, basically a quality human being. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be back in about two minutes or so. So everybody hang on and we'll continue with the show. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total Access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Brian Walmuth. And um, there was a big glitch in the show. There was quite a few minutes. I'm guessing 10 or 15 minutes, but I could be wrong, where uh, we didn't have any sound. So we're continuing now with no more commercials. We're just going from uh, 222 to about 259. And then, Brian, my guest, we may have another part two to this all, Okay. All right, we'll see what unfolds. Okay, so when we were last speaking, you were talking about... Um, well, I was talking about the motivation, and I'll try to perhaps yeah. cut it short. Um, what I realized is that there's a difference between the definition of being a parent, whether that be um, via procreation or adoption, yeah. and parenting. And I realized um, through my experiences as a clinician, along with my um, career in the field of special ed. For 30 years, I was at a uh, special education school that Uh um, uh, being a parent does not translate into effective parenting. And what I would find myself doing was what I called reparenting, are providing a corrective experience to youngsters who needed um, different therapeutic techniques to occur to heal some of the lesions that had occurred because of their child-parent experiences. And as I just said a mouthful, I wanted to write a book that was entertaining and thought-provoking It encourages awareness and um, fine parental attunement. Uh, And I did it with poetic verse, hence the title Poetic Parenting. Yes. So you wrote this book primarily for the parents. Yes, I did, Jonathan. And hopefully they can take in what you've given them and they can do a better job parenting their kids. Well, you know, I, I don't. I hesitate to say parenting um, a better job. I would agree that parenting is the ultimate and most challenging of all responsibilities. So the book is more of a um, think about it, feel about it. It's not necessarily a how-to. Um, uh, the goal here is to encourage. You know, you've procreated. Uh-huh. Now, what type of human being do you want to create, and how might you go about um, creating that person? Yes. Um, and I kind of borrowed from Einstein um, in my theory that parenting is energy. It, it transcends socioeconomic status, yes. formal education. It really comes from within and your awareness about how you go about empowering a child, creating a quality of character human being. And that was my intent. And if you would like, um, Einstein um, 
believed that we were all energy and we pass it down from generation to generation. Uh-huh. He said, look at the pyramids of Egypt. They were built with blood, sweat, and tears. He said, the people who built the pyramids are long gone, but the energy that went into building the pyramids remain today. And that's kind of how I look at, at parenting, that we are a product of our parents who are a product of their parents, great-grandparents, and -and so-and-so. And we, whether it be as clinicians, as parents, or as members of society, pass all that energy along to those we come in contact with. And in this case, uh, if you're a parent, you're passing it along to your children. And with that in mind, uh, if you allow me to wax poetically, I've written a poem uh, entitled E equals MC square. Okay, and, you want to uh, read, read it? Sure, sure. And E equals MC square. There's energy inside of me, the MC squared from those who cared to reinvest what they thought best through lessons taught or battles fought with heart and soul. It was their goal to leave behind for humankind an ancient tree of family which chaperones my skin and bones in every breath from birth to death with heart and soul shaping the whole of who I am or how I plan to pass along what made me strong, their energy inside of me. And what I tried to capture in the book is, again, look inside yourself. And I have found a lot of parents were applying the blueprints that their parents may have imparted into them or to them. And, you know, nobody's perfect. So in the book, I, I kind of encourage a self-examination, kind of uh, separating the gold from the garbage uh, of parenting. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that's okay to say that, um, you know, you want to hold on to the gold. You want to understand the gifts that your parents handed down to you. But you also want to do a self-check that maybe all was not necessarily um, positive, and you may want to uh, take out the garbage, so to speak, so you yeah. can pass down um, um, the the greatest, um, healthiest yeah. parenting skills. Yeah. So when you talk about energy, there's different ways the energy can be in terms of parenting. There can be kindness. There can be um, being abusive to the kids. Yeah, yeah, the goal, yeah, absolutely. And there could be, you know, sometimes the best intentions um, can not necessarily translate into um, healthy parenting, like, uh, you know, a parent who might tell their child, um, oh, go back and change into, you know, blue and orange don't go together. Well, that may be if it happens all the time, you know, oh, no, go change this, you look better in this. It may, although it sounds very helpful, pass on a sense of self-doubt. Geez, I thought I looked good. Now I come to my primary care- caretaker, a parent, and maybe I don't know how to dress myself. Or So it, in some instances, some of the best laid plans might result in not the, or, or yeah, might not lend themselves to the result that you're hoping for, an empowered individual who can think for his or herself. I, I concur, and I remember 
many years ago, um, and I still see it today, but um, these parents who want their kids to dress in a certain way, and the kids want to dress with, uh, let's say the little girl wants to have a, a pink shirt with black polka dots and a tartan kind of thing on her um, for her skirt and wear different colored shoes, <laughs> two different kinds. And the, if a kid wants to do it, why not? Yeah, yeah. So that, so actually, I, I think that's a huge problem. And, and the parent would, many of the parents would dismiss it. Yeah, it can result, again, it can result in uh, internalizing a sense of self-doubt. So again, I, I did write a poem about self-doubt. That's one of the segments. It, yeah. it just encourages, you know, think about it. Think about what this may be doing. Think about what you want to do. And it offers a suggestion of two about how to do it. Um, if I continue, if I may continue on the theme of energy. Sure, you please know, do. Einstein was kind of global, and yeah. I, uh, again, wanted to start globally and then get a little bit specific. So yeah. I, I wrote a poem called Forever Father. It could have been Forever Mother. It could have been Forever Teacher, Forever yeah. Uncle. It's about, um, it's uh, again, about the energy, but it's uh, zeroing in on passing down, whether it be a catchphrase. I mean, sometimes we'll remember, um, you know, oh, yeah, I remember Joe, he used to say this, or I remember my dad, he used to do this. So hopefully this poem captures um, what I call generativity. It's called Forever Father. Good, let's hear it. He taught me life, my dear old man, and I became his biggest fan. Through thick and thin, he'd always say, Glad for every day bar none, in each and every way, my son. And I recall his chronic pain. My dear old man limped with a cane, yet still he spoke as if okay. Glad for every day I stride, in each and every way take pride. He died last night, my dear old man, and passed along his master plan. I share those words before we play. Glad for every day we had in each and every way, my dad. See, I believe, and my experience has taught me, that whether you like it or not, we do adopt mannerisms of our parents, beliefs of our parents, obviously. Yeah. And, and, and again, uh, hopefully, those are wonderful gifts that have been handed down from generation to generation. But as a clinician, I mean, you just mentioned a story about the little girl who's Parents would say, don't dress like this or do this. Um, You know, it's not always a gift. Um, And again, the book encourages just that poem alone, my hope would say, my hope would be the reader would say, oh, yeah, I understand it. I am delivering energy to my child. And this has been passed down to me from my dad or mom or a teacher. And, And be cognizant or be aware of, what it is they're actually, in a sense, feeding to this developing human being. Hopefully the, the food is productive and constructive. Yes. So uh, in this particular poem, when you said, uh, and I recall his chronic pain, mm-hmm. was that a metaphor or did your dad actually have chronic pain? 
Well, you're, you're first of all, you're, you're um, assuming this was about my dad. The creative process is amazing, and I don't want to get into who this was about, but actually I took poetic license to uh, okay. rhyme it, make it um, yeah. sensible okay. to the reader. Um, so it really isn't necessarily about my dad having chronic pain. Okay, about... and then I thought um, I read in here you had a poem regarding mother. Am I wrong or not? Well, in which um, I, I think I shared with you that um, I had lost my mother. My mother was killed. Um, she was run over many years ago. And um, How old were you when that happened? I was 32, so I was a young adult. I see. And um, as part of the creative process, um, which I don't thoroughly understand, uh, years later I, I, I wrote a poem describing um, really not necessarily her death, but how, how fragile. Actually, I've written a series of poems about how delicate life is. And yes. there are those who say, go for the gusto, you know, because it could be short, go for the gusto. You know, uh, those who has the most toys wins, and I kind of look at it as, um, yeah, that, that's part of it, but appreciate how delicate life is, how fragile it can be, and try to contribute, you know, try to make it better, um, because you don't know um, how long you have on this earth. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've written a poem about uh, my mother's demise, I uh, death has been woven into my tapestry of experience. That yes. may be part two of your show, although I'd be glad to go there. Okay. Um, well, I have a question for you. Yes, sure. So once your mom died, mm -hmm. how did your father's parenting go with you? Was he more a certain way with you, more loving or more withdrawn? Or Well, that is a, an excellent question. And... Um, what what actually happened? I don't want to say there was a silver lining because I think that diminishes the yeah. the, the traumatic moment of my mom's um, you know sudden and tragic death. Yeah. But I, as I said, I was 32, and it left my father and I to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship uh -huh. because now when we visited, because he lives. Um, in San Diego, actually, uh -huh. um, it was he and I, not the system had changed. So we might play golf or do some activity, uh -huh. and then we'd be sitting there one-on-one. -on -one, and because I was a therapist, um, my dad and I got to know one another, uh -huh. um, not necessarily as um, father and child, but man-to-man. And yeah. we talked, and we talked about um, childhood things, his childhood, uh -huh. his preferences, his life, my life. It really opened up an um, amazing line of communication, which uh, forged a wonderful relationship between a father and a son. Yes. Um, and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm uh, choking up a little bit. Uh, very uh, rewarding. Um, you know, my dad, I think, moved from parent to consultant, uh, dare I say friend, um, and it, it just was, was marvelous to have an open, honest relationship with uh -huh. uh, a parent. 
Um, so his parenting, I mean, you, you know, by 32, I like to think I was making my own decisions, but it just allowed us um, to go from, we had a conversation where I had said to him, if you were to pass away, I wouldn't know really what to say. And he said, well, you can say I'm a father who did the best he could. And I looked at him respectfully and I said, well, you can say that about any father. Yeah. That's global. I want to be able to speak from my heart. And um, that's what I could do now. My dad is still alive. And, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, he's, he, he gave me his gift. He opened up. He owned his behavior. Uh, one of the things he said was, um, the reason I was this way as a father, I didn't have a therapist as a son at the time who could tell me what to do. So I thought that was um, wonderful on his part that he said, you know what, I did the best I can. I made mistakes. I own them now. Um, I guess back in the day it was children were more to be seen and not heard. You know, we talked it through, and um, we go on. It's wonderful. Yes. Excellent question. And do you have siblings? I forget. Yeah, I, um, I have an older brother. Yeah, uh, and I had a uh, younger sibling who actually passed away um, a number of years ago as well. Uh-huh. So as I said, um, death has been woven into my tapestry of experience. So I don't mind talking about it. I think it's very universal. Yeah. Um, again, I've written a poem about my brother's passing that was actually published in a um, more religious. Uh, yeah. oriented uh, magazine. Yeah. So maybe we'll get to that in part two. So today, uh, I'm going through your booklet as you're talking. Well, would you like to, let's get back to the book, which is really trying to help parents recognize what I call universal potholes of childhood. Yeah. And Speaking since of potholes. We, we, I know the first universal pothole is potty training. Exactly. And you're talking to a man who has actually written a poem about potty training. But since we were on this um, loss conversation that I went through as an adult, yes. um, we can go back to potty training. But I did write a poem about, you know, what would loss be like through the eyes of a child? How is that encountered? Yes. And if, uh, if I may wax poetically, I wrote a poem that I, I hope your listeners can relate to. It's called the Gold Flush. And the Gold Flush is that part of the poetic poetic parenting? parenting absolutely, the Gold Flush is um, what I consider a way that uh, a lot of youngsters probably encountered, uh, uh, had their first encounter with uh, death uh, through the demise of a pet. In this particular uh, poem, it'll be through the demise of a goldfish. Okay. All right. Let's In go. a bowl that sat. Away from the cat lived Moby, a fish made of gold, who borrowed his name from an uncle of fame and was mine to protect and behold. This swimming delight did often excite my wide eyes as they watched him go splash, fed always to order, and when changing his water, in the sink he'd enjoy a cold bath. Then came the day that he silently lay on his side without moving a fin. Just like a boat on the surface afloat, it was time for his trip to begin. It appeared that my dad understood what he had and prepared for this journey towards sea. 
I remember the flush, then a 10-second hush. Down that bowl went a small part of me. So whether it's the goldfish or the fecal matter, when it, when it goes away, the child has some feelings about the loss of whatever it was. Yeah, um, exactly. That um, The demise of the goldfish, even though it's relatively tiny, it's yes. taken on a life of its own. You've encouraged your child. It's your fish. Give it a name. You're going to be responsible and take care of it. Change yes. the water. Put the goldfish in the sink while you change the water and feed it. So the, the child, with the act of imagination, has created this whole universe around this tiny little goldfish. Yes. Um, it could apply to a dog, which is bigger and, and obviously more interactive. But in the case of the goldfish, it's still a pet. It's given a name, and it's an extension of the child. So when the eventual demise happens, again, it's a think about it. I'm sure there are listeners out there who may have flushed the goldfish down the toilet. And like you said, if the child is understanding, well, what goes down the toilet? Um, urine, fecal matter, and now an extension of me, it diminishes the value of the whole self-goldfish experience. So, again, it's not a big thing. Yeah. It's, you know, think about it. This is a teachable moment. Yeah. You can perhaps use this moment to, um, if you're comfortable, talk about what death is, what has happened to Moby, rather yeah. than flush it. If you have a home, you might want to bury it in your backyard, give it a burial. If you don't have a home, you might take Moby to a park and find a tree and, you know, bury him under a tree. But again, it's an opportunity rather than simply flush it and say, okay, all gone, to say, you know, okay, this is what happened. This yeah. is what, you know, death is, if you're comfortable. Or you can impart your views on spirituality if, if you want to go that route. So it, the bottom line is it's a teachable moment versus a simple flick of the wrist, flush down the toilet. Yes. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question about this. Um, I remember uh, maybe 30 or more years ago, it, uh, the experts said that um, before the age of seven, children can't really understand death. But I never, I never believed that. Well, I, I think, what, Jonathan, your if your question is, and I think it's a good one for your listeners, do children before the age of seven possess the abstract reasoning skills to understand the, the concept of death? Because yeah. what we know is children are concrete. And so it would be a, um, an excellent discussion. And that's why you would want to verbalize more so your child can understand the abstractness, in this case of, well, what happened to Moby? Where did he go? Why isn't he moving? Yeah, Moby uh, died. To, yeah, well, Moby died. Well, what is death? And, you know, whether it's how there's, you, I'll get a book, there's children's book written about the subject. There's, yes. you know, um, so you're, it really comes down to, again, the energy from a parent who's dealt this universal pothole. I mean, even if it's a puppy dog, I mean, that's yeah. like a member of the family. I mean, I, I know individuals, 
my age, your age, a, a dog will, will pass away. And it is devastating because that dog is like a member of the family. Well, I submit to you that, you know, little Moby, if it's your child's first or second pet, is similar in that it forms an an attachment. And so in order to help a concrete thinker understand, that's where the parent might come in and use his or her awareness to help the child understand what has happened to Moby versus just flushing that opportunity down the drain. Yes. So, um, yeah, you're, you're on target. As far as the, the seven years old, I think that has to do, again, with the type of parenting the child is having, the type of openness, yes. um, and different aspects of, of the parent-child relationship that would answer your question, will a child understand the concept of death by seven or not? Um, it depends, uh, again, on the energy, the information, being bestowed upon the the child. Yes. And in Uh, our culture, the concept of death is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, and that's why I said death is woven into my tapestry of experience, so, you know, I'm comfortable with it, but I do understand that it's kind of a taboo subject, but I know when my mom died and um, with the passing of my brother... When I was talking about it, there'd be so many people that said, yeah, I had a similar experience, or yeah, I had so-and-so pass away tragically, you know, so, and people, I believe, want to talk about it, but like you said, it's kind of uh, taboo, but I have found, whether it be in my practice or my just personal life, that, you know, people will gladly um, join a conversation uh, about loss and death and, and yes. life and, um, you know, whether it be the hereafter or, you know, is this all there is? It, to me, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, um, wonderful discussion to, to think of the possibilities. Uh, uh, again, I've written uh, uh, several poems uh, that, that kind of take a look at um, what may be next. Um, because to say when you're done, you're done, which if I was a betting man, I'd probably bet on that. But to consider all the possibilities of what can happen after this life to me is very, for lack of a better term, flavorful. It's just pretty invigorating to, to think of the possibilities of what might happen next. Yes. For me in general, I'm very excited about, um, anything can be talked about. Mm. It doesn't have to be any taboo at all. Now, the actual behavior about something, that's a different story, but to be able to talk about it and yeah. Yeah. try to understand it or play with it or be afraid of it or whatever, I think that, that's just dandy. Yeah, and I think through the talking, people become more comfortable. If, if you're comfortable with it, I found if you're, whether it be in parenting, if you're a principal of organization, and, and you're calm, you can take chaos with your calm and turn it into calmness and, and open up conversation about uh, a lot of topics because under the right circumstances, uh, people want to talk. They, they, there's a lot of energy inside of them that they, they want to explore. They want to banter back and forth. I think that's what your show is about, interesting people uh, taking their experiences and uh, you know, exchanging information, exchanging views. Yeah. 
I would agree. Actually, I would rephrase it a little bit. Uh, every human being, for me, can be interesting. Yes, yes. That's what you had shared with me when we met at the uh, seminar, the ethics seminar, that yeah. uh, you consider every human being to be of interest. And, and that well, reminds me, me but, of, a, of a... a lot of people, unfortunately, for themselves, they devalue and diminish themselves and see themselves as a slug or a lousy person or whatever, which is very pathetic and unkind. Yeah, I think there has been some type of injury to self-esteem. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum are those who hold themselves above others. And I always use this phrase, um, a wise man can learn from a fool, but a fool can never learn from a wise man because a wise man understands the human condition and will listen to anybody. Like you said, everybody has something interesting. A fool diminishes that and thinks he or she knows everything and that certain people cannot have anything to offer and so they can't learn from wise people. So I agree 100% with you. Yes. So um, you wanna, we, we can skip, if you want, um, potty training and come back to it perhaps in our next show, maybe next week if, you, if you're available. You want to go to Surrounded? Because you have a certain order you wanted. Well, i tell you what. Um, I can. I, I I would like to um, recite a poem. Okay, which one? It's called Exclusion, and the reason I'm choosing this, I don't know how much time we have. It's going. We have very about fast. nine minutes. Okay, um, this one actually Fox Television brought to life. So if you go on, if you were to go on YouTube and yeah. type in my name, Brian. Walmuth, W-O-H-L-M-U-T-H. It's, again, a pothole, a universal pothole of childhood about um, being the last one chosen. And Uh I actually saw this happen at the school I worked at and went home and wrote the following poem, if I may. Please do. Okay. Exclusion. Together with my classmates against the schoolyard wall, Recess has just started. It's time to dodge the ball. Scott and Jerry pick as captains because they are the best. Team members must be chosen. First good players, then the rest. Dave and Randy, they're selected. Cindy, Greg, and Jenny. Another name that isn't mine. Slow Todd and Clumsy Benny. Large Freddy is a popular choice, cheered by a collective groan. Take me, please, the invisible man. I now stand all alone. Yes. I actually saw that happen to a little girl at the school, and she was the last one chosen. Um, she walked to the team saying, do we have to take her? Her head bowed down. You had mentioned something about people who have low self-esteem. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that particular situation causes low self-esteem, but yeah. certainly as a parent, if your child comes home and were to say, oh, they think I stink, I'm the last one chosen, I feel horrible, I think it would be prudent to have an idea of what you may say and do so your child doesn't internalize uh, a negative self-concept or low self-esteem over something that we know is as meaningless as dodgeball, but at the time in their life, sports may be a valuable 
um, aspect of childhood. Yes. So, you know, I, I wrote that. I saw the girl. Um, my advice to the PE teacher was, look, you, you, you got to just put the kids on two sides and not have them go through, especially special ed, where their self-esteem has been already injured, whether it be via learning disabilities, uh, having, to, having to cope with, you know, learning differently or other psychological issues. To have to go through that, uh, I, you know, I said, no, 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 no. You and your mind come up with fair teams and just say, you know, Joe, Mary, Johnny, Billy, you're here. You know, Randy, Cindy, Mary, Johnny, you're here. Yeah. You, you know, so to spare somebody that, um, that experience. Although, yeah. on the other hand, Jonathan, we also know that uh, that's a part of life. Whether you're looking for a job, whether you're, you know, eventually trying out for a sports team, the higher up you get, you know, the more it is competitive and you will be yeah. valued. Um, so, they're, again, they're life lessons, um, which is what the book kind of is about. These universal potholes could be teachable moments. They can provide food for thought. And what I found was, you know, parents um, were not sure or, or they had forgotten you know, what it was like. So really the, um, the, mm, what word am I looking for? The crux of this book is to use the poetry to bring an adult, in this case, a parent, help them remember what that may have been like. There's illustrations in the book that hopefully charge the emotion. And then there's a psychological narrative. So now a parent could have the feeling, the thought and information at their fingertips, so when their child goes through or encounters a pothole, yes. they're kind of prepared uh, as to uh, how to deal with it. Yes. I remember as a kid, um, they'd have pickup games, and this was usually with baseball, and they'd, um, each captain would choose, you know, the first best player, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and then it was to come down to the last few, and the last one was generally uh, very uncomfortable with all this stuff. And there was no... There was no way to make it better. Just these guys deciding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really not a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's part of life, and that's why I think it would be important that, that parents have a heads up, and if they know what's going on, they have the gift of empathy to give to their child because you're, you're not going to be able to take uh, that away. And, you know, the, I think there's a tendency to say, oh, it's dodgeball, you're a great speller, or you're wonderful in ballet, or whatever the case may be, but you really have to administer to that moment in time where your child is feeling that he or she committed a crime for not being in the possession of this valued athletic skill, which in this case is to dodge a ball. Yes. So, you know, that's kind of the flavor of the book. You know, I have a catchphrase, um, because you mentioned the questioning, um, you know, tis such an age of inquiry where innocence demands that small defendant, excuse me, small dependent fingers hold large supportive hands. And that's what you're talking about, that, you know, it's the parents that are leading the children through this thing called life. And it's, uh, as I said before, it's the ultimate and most challenging of all responsibilities. Yes. Um, Parenting is the most important job in the world. Yes, yes. And, and my concern is, and why I tried to make this entertaining with, with poetry and 
a little narrative is, you know, there's children having children. It's getting younger and younger. And, you know, to me, I would see a, a, a book like this or even a, a class that just touches not on sex ed, but on developmental education. Like, you know, you, you're going to have children. I've written a poem that takes um, object relations theory, which is an attachment theory that I believe in, and turned it into a poem. So uh-huh. the average person wouldn't want to hear a lecture on attachment theory or object relations theory, but a poem called Mind Pa, they might read through it and have an understanding that they wouldn't necessarily have by saying, let's go to a lecture on object relations. But to hear a poem about Mind Pa, they might be more receptive to, uh, to understanding what it's all about. So, yes. you know, that's the, that's the nature of the book. Um, May I? Because I'm going to believe where this time has gone. We have about 60 seconds. Oh, okay. I'd like to have you come back next week if you can. Well, I'll have to see my my schedule. I would... uh, Check it out, and if it's not not next week, maybe some other week. Yeah, I'll see. I mean, if next week uh, it's a continuation, I think that would be great. Okay. Um, I believe it's possible. All right. So we have about 30 seconds. What do you want to say, if anything? I want to say to you, thank you for allowing me to be a, a, a guest on your show. Um, You're very welcome. Uh, the book, if anyone's interested, I don't know if they can call in to your show. Um, well, you can give them a phone number if you want. Sure. I, yeah. I, my um, office number, which is in Encino, is area code 818-585-6482. Again, that's 818-585-6482. Do you want to give anybody your... Um email address or your website? No, I think uh, we'll start with a phone number and uh, hopefully, you know, whether someone says, Brian, we'd like you to come and give a talk on parenting and use uh, poetic parenting or want to contact me, I think a phone number is good. Okay. And also, I'm going to hook you up with this woman who has written a book called Parenting Backwards. Okay, I would. And the two uh, of you might enjoy uh, knowing each other. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. This is kind of new to me. I've never written poetry before. I had a um, a creative style time. So any help you can give me, that's appreciated. Regular prose really well, too. So I have to say goodbye to you for now. And um, let me know when you're next available to come back, okay? I'm hoping next week. I would like to come back next week. I'm going to try to make that that happen. Okay. All right, Jonathan. So uh, everybody... Thanks for listening to our show. Uh, hopefully you'll come back next week and get part two of being with um, my guest, and we'll take it from there. So long, everybody. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip! with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 
805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.